Our sermon is entitled Wrong Think One, and uh, as we go through the sermon, I think it will become clear why I've entitled it Wrong Think, uh, because we're now entering an era of new think and right think, uh, but this is definitely wrong think that I'm going to be sharing with you today. Let's bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit to bless our presence. Our dear Father, uh, we come before you on this your day and this your house. Father, we thank you for the word of life that is eternal, that does not change from day to day. We thank you for the revealed morality that has guided centuries and generations of families from Adam through to today. And Father, as I speak today, I pray that the same spirit that inspired these scriptures will speak through me and for me. I ask, Father, that every hearer present here today or online will hear the voice of the spirit whispering in their ears, this is the way, walk ye in it. I ask, Father, for the protection of your angels upon us here today and upon those who are watching. And Lord, wherever this message goes, I pray that it will draw people to Jesus Christ. So, Father, we give the rest of this morning into your hands. I'm I'm in your hands, Father. Please use me. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. So, when I was growing up in England, it was in the 1980s. Ronald Reagan was president in the United States. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister in England. Gorbachev was in Russia, the last years of the Soviet Union, and there were some very famous names coming out of the former Soviet Union. One of them was this guy here, Natan Sharansky. Does anybody remember this name, Natan Sharansky? Yeah, some of you, it rings a bell, okay? It's from uh, uh, ancient history now, but um, he was a human rights activist, and he became one of what was a large group of, they were known as refuseniks. They used to refuse the dogma of the the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics, the USSR. He spent many years in Soviet prisons, undergoing various kinds of ill treatment, and eventually he was set free and he was allowed to fly to Israel. And today, to this day, he is um, a member of the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli parliament. And he reflects on his time living under a totalitarian regime. And what he says is this, and I quote, I was a loyal Soviet citizen until the age of 20. What it meant to be a loyal citizen was to say that you were supposed to say, to read what you were permitted to, to read what you were permitted to speak, to vote the way you were told to vote, and at the same time, to know that it was all a lie. He was asked to live with lies, to speak lies, to cheer lies, to vote for lies. That was his experience under the Soviet Union. The most famous of those refuseniks was, of course, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. If you've never read his writings, please do. I'd recommend First Circle. It's an excellent novel, perhaps the greatest of the 20th century. I'd encourage everybody here to be reading it because he discusses the reality of what it means to live and maintain your humanity in the midst of a dehumanizing system. Well, before he left Russia, uh, before he left, he wrote a little pamphlet, a very famous pamphlet entitled, Live Not by Lies. Live Not by Lies. Because totalitarian systems are built on an ideology of lies, and these systems only survive because people are afraid to challenge those lies. Democracies thrive because of shared truths. For instance, in the US Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are shared truths within a democracy. But totalitarian regimes only survive because of imposed and shared lies that everybody must adhere to and everybody must bow before. And in America, we are being forced to accept those lies, even this coming week, 
with new transgender regulations that will be imposed within the first couple of days of the new administration, we are being required to live with lies. Here's some of the lies we're being expected to live with now in the rise of soft totalitarianism, that men can have periods, that there are dozens of gender identities, that a man can be referred to as a she, a he, or they, or whatever their gender, preferred gender pronoun might be. It is the lie that men can become women and women can become men. The lie that two plus two may in fact equal five. The lie that same-sex marriage equals morality and marriage equality. The lie that open marriage is marital freedom. The lie that children will thrive equally with two fathers or two mothers than, than with a mother, one father and one mother. The lie that paying more taxes will change global weather patterns. The lie that equal opportunity, equality before the law, reason, scientific research, lie, um, science are all inherently racist. That is what is being told us now. The lie that in modern day doublethink, diversity actually means excluding anybody who disagrees with Marxist ideology, and equity means treating people differently in order to achieve a defined ideological outcome. These are the lies that which, which we in America are being required and forced to live under. That's quite a beginning to a sermon, isn't it? But I'm speaking the truth. This is the kind of sermon that can get one cancelled. So what am I going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about first the descent into totalitarianism in America, the turn to totalitarianism in America, the Adventist Church's response to totalitarianism in America, and the individual's response to totalitarianism. How can we respond to this? What can we do? We're not helpless victims. We can respond, but we are to respond as laid out in the Word of God. And so how do we respond to what is happening? We cannot control events around us, but we can control how we respond. And uh, we can look to the Word of God for the guidance on how we are to respond. So let's deal with first the descent into into totalitarianism. That's quite an expression, isn't it? Totalitarianism. Let's first of all define what is totalitarianism, because it's a much-used word these days. So let's go to the original user of this word, and it was Benito Mussolini. He was the Italian fascist dictator in the 1930s, early 1940s, till he was deposed in the middle of World War II. And he defined totalitarianism. He was the one that coined the phrase. He says, it is all within the state, none outside the state, and none against the state. That's the uh, fundamental and the original definition of totalitarianism. It's an interesting definition because Jesus says we are to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And in so doing, Jesus recognizes that we have responsibilities as citizens and responsibilities of America, for instance, or whatever country you are from, and we have responsibilities as the, as the citizens of the kingdom of God. But in a totalitarian system, there, God is written out of the equation. You have responsibilities to the state. And in a democracy, the government must operate within the rule of law. But in a totalitarian system, the government is the law, which means if the government decides to kill you, it's legal because the government doesn't answer to a higher law. And so Benito Mussolini was the first guy to coin the phrase totalitarianism. Totalitarian forms of government permit no individual freedoms, such as freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom from um, unlawful arrest and search, and they seek to subordinate all aspects of your life to the authority of the state. The state is all-powerful. You are merely a breeding and working unit, period. You're allowed to live for as long as you're useful to the state, and then you are to be eliminated. Now, hard totalitarian regimes enforce their lies via the secret police, by concentration camps, re-education camps, torture, extended imprisonment, 
um, labor camps, and uh, often execution. In the 1930s and 40s, we saw it with the Gestapo and the KGB, the Gestapo in Germany, the KGB in Russia, and the Soviet Union. Today, we see this in many countries of the world. The prime example is China, that has hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, in re-education and hard labor camps, almost all unjustly so. This is happening as we enjoy our Sabbath freedom here today. Millions of people are languishing in, in education re and re-labor camps in the People's Republic of China. When I was serving in, in the former Soviet Union, I had many brushes with the KGB. KGB means the Komitet is K, Bezapasnas is for the safety, Gosudasvani means for the state, so the KGB means the Committee for the Safety of the State, not for the people. It is a secret police that imposed the state's wishes on the people to preserve the state indefinitely. And uh, I, I used to go to church in some parts of the former Soviet Union, knowing there were KGB spies in the church, and those KGB spies would, would report on what was said, and I was taken on a number of occasions to the KGB officers, and I was made to answer for what I was saying, or why was I there, and why was I encouraging local uh, people, in this case Muslims, to become Adventists, and so forth. And I can assure you, it is not a pleasant experience to be in the hands of any secret police agent, because no matter what you say, they will twist it against you. And they know no law. You cannot appeal to the rule of law. They are the law. If they decide to imprison you or execute you or exile you or deplatform you or, you know, send you home, that's entirely their whim. Working with the secret police is not a pleasant experience. In America, though, and increasingly in the West, we're not witnessing the rise of hard totalitarianism just yet. We're witnessing the rise of soft totalitarianism, where the, the dominant regime enforces their lies via cancel culture. As in America now, you will be cancelled. You will be destroyed professionally. You will be destroyed financially. You will be destroyed um, personally. Uh, you'll, people will draw back from you like you're a social leper if you dare to transgress the new lies that are being imposed upon us in the new soft totalitarianism. So what are some of the factors in America today that are indicative of our descent into soft totalitarianism and soon, I believe, into hard totalitarianism? This is where we're going as a nation. Firstly, postmodernity. And why do I say this? Well, modern nations such as France or um, United States of America or uh, Canada and so forth, modern nations were formed during the Enlightenment era with a modernist worldview. But we are no longer a modernist society. We are postmodern. Now, understand this. If you if you uh, are you raising your children, and when your children hit between, let's say, 14 and 15, something changes. You know, there's a very good YouTube clip, it's like Kevin becomes a teenager, um, and there's this normal little boy, and he's counting down the, the minutes till he becomes 13, and uh, the moment the clock strikes, he turns into this raging monster. Now, thankfully, I didn't go through that myself, but to imagine what, what I'm talking about, if you have a modernist society structure with a postmodern population, this is like having parents with certain principles and parameters in their home, but you're stuck with a, a, a teenager who never goes beyond teenagerhood. There's going to be constant tension. And we are a modernist structure with a postmodern society. Within a modernist structure, we have liberal democracy. Within postmodernity, we're living through chaos. The pendulum will swing to totalitarianism, where might is right because we no longer have shared truths, but we all expect to live under shared lies. So socially, we are now postmodern. And so we are rejecting the structures of our nation because it is inherently uh, at fault for a variety of alleged sins from its birth. And a postmodern population cannot survive within a modernist state with modernist structures. Rather, a postmodern population leads to a totalitarian system because that's the only way anything can get done. 
we're also a post-truth society. In the modernist era, that's when maybe many of us were growing up, truth was known, it was absolute, it was fixed, it was measurable, and it was universal. Uh, with the scientific method, the idea that the principle of universality, that if you repeat the same experiment under the same circumstances on any part of planet Earth, you will get the same results. So, for instance, you know, if I were to take this little control here and drop it on the floor, which I'm not going to do, but if I were to drop this, whether I'm in Africa, Asia, Europe, or North America, that will always fall to the ground, yes? That's the principle of universality in science. But now we are told that science is inherently a white way of knowing. It's inherently racist under critical race theory. And to accept that idea that the principle of universality, that must be rejected. And so we are now post-truth. We're now living in a world where truth is personal, it is subjective, it is relative, it is situational, and it is fluid. Absolute truths are gone. And politically, when truth no longer matters, what matters is the absolute pursuit of power at any cost, which is what we have been seeing in America maybe for the last year or so. All that matters is holding on to power. We then come to another factor that leads us to totalitarianism in America. We are post-privacy. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't have my phone with me it's somewhere out the back there, but most of us have got smart devices in our home, yes? The dot and the echo and our smartphones. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that um, many, many Americans are now self-censoring. Not just what you post on social media, but more and more Americans are self-censoring within their own bedrooms and within their own um, kitchen, around their own kitchen tables. Why? Because we don't know who may be listening. These are not conspiracy theories. If, you, if, if I say to my wife over lunch, I think, I think we'll buy a lawn garden tractor in the spring, guess what appears on my social media feed within a few hours? Adverts for lawn garden tractors. I didn't tell anybody that, but how do they know? How does the system know? So if you don't believe me, just try that simple experiment. I'm thinking of buying a lawn garden tractor in the spring and see what comes up on your social media feed. All right, so it, for the sake of convenience, we've sacrificed our privacy. And now to go off the internet and not to have a listening device in your home or in your bedroom or always at your side means now you are a figure of suspicion. Something's wrong with you. You must be a deviant because we can't listen into everything you say. So we're post-privacy. We're also post-community. 1951, a famous author called Hannah Arendt, she wrote a book entitled The Origins of Totalitarianism. And she sought to understand how radical ideologies could take hold within Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, both of which were socialist states, National Socialism and the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics. Both of them were socialist one way or another. And among other things, she concluded, and I quote, that what prepares men for totalitarian domination in the non-totalitarian world is the fact that loneliness has become an everyday experience of the ever-growing masses of our century. Now, let me ask you this. Is loneliness on the rise in America today? Yes, we are perhaps the most disconnected generation in American history. It used to be in the 50s and 60s that you went to a dinner club, that you may spend an evening with a stamp collecting club, or you went to a women's society meeting, or you went bowling with your friends after work, or whatever the case may be. You went to your church, you went to your prayer meeting, your kids were involved in a Sunday soccer league, whatever the case may be. And in those social gatherings, we found social connection. But with the rise of social media, like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so forth, we are preferring to stay in our homes, particularly during this pandemic. We spend our time alone and online, and increasingly anxious and afraid and vulnerable. 
And there's a reality that those who study mass killings have realized that when somebody has a grudge, no matter what the grudge is, well, I'll start here because you're looking at me, and time goes that way, doesn't it? Yes? So uh, if, if, if I have a grudge and I add social media to it, social media is an accelerant for a, for a grudge. So social media, um, a grudge plus social media leads to acts of violence. It's a well-recognized pathway to radicalization, uh, regardless of what kind of radicalization the person is going down. So if somebody has a grudge and they're spending time on social media, they are much more predisposed towards acts of violence and mass shootings and mass killings. And we in America are more atomized and disconnected and lonely than ever before. And because our social networks have broken down, I'm not, saying, I'm not just saying they are breaking down, to a large extent they have broken down, particularly with this pandemic. Our social networks are gone, and what is replacing our social networks is group identity with the intersectionality ideology. That I'm now a member of this community or that community. I, I am a member of this victim group, and that gives me the right to do this to my historical oppressors. And so um, normal social identities are being replaced by victimhood, victim group mentality. We're also post-Christian. America is fast becoming post-Christian. The, the change from having any kind of Christian foundations is happening dizzying, dizzying, dizzyingly fast. Diversity and inclusion, uh, race theory, critical race theory, social justice ideology are all pinned by Marxist ideology, providing a powerful, secular, atheist alternative for a post-Christian America. There's um, a very famous writer called Nancy Piercy. If you've never read her, I'd recommend you read some of her writings. And she explains why Marxism provides such a powerful alternative to Christianity. And I'm going to put it up on the screen there. You see... In Christianity, we have three basic stages. This is the worldview. We have creation, how did we begin, and why are we here? You have the fall, that is, what is the ultimate cause of suffering? Then you have redemption, how will the world be set right again? That's the basic flow of, of, of the meta-narrative of Scripture. And in, in the Word of God, we find that we are created in God's image by a loving, personal God, for loving communion with Him and sacrificial service to others. That's what God's purpose for you and I is. That's what he wants us to be. That's who he wants us to be. That's with whom he asks us to be. But then we find the fall when our first parents replaced God with self on the thrones of their hearts, allowing sin and death to enter creation. And how, how does the process of redemption work out? You know, this is Genesis 1 and 2. This is Genesis 3. And this is Revelation, Genesis 4 through Revelation 22. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. We live in the kingdom of grace today, and we look forward to the kingdom of glory when Jesus comes at the second coming, when all things will be made new again. That's the basic Christian worldview. But the Marxist worldview is almost identical. It's why it's such a compelling worldview, why people can switch from Christianity to atheist Marxism almost on the touch of a button. In Marxist thinking, matter is dynamic. Matter contains, according to the writings of Marx, the powers of motion, change, and development. Like matter, physical matter, like this thing here, is almost divine in Marx's thinking. It has all the attributes of God, of divinity. And matter replaces God in Marx's thinking. That's why he talked about dialectic materialism, okay? This is where these ideas are coming from. The universe is a self-originating, autonomous machine moving towards a classless society. That's, what, that's the original purpose of the universe in Marx's thinking. What caused the fall? When the Bible, it was the story of Adam and Eve eating the fruit, and here it's the creation of private property led to all the evils of exploitation and class struggle. That's the fall in Marxist ideology. So most of us, I hope all of us, sometimes they will go back to our homes. We don't just go back to a home. We go back to our home. The very concept of my home 
is to be rejected in the new world order that's coming our way. All your private property is at the disposal of the state. As Goering said, a total war where the state owns everything and you really are just a steward of it, but you no longer own anything. And what is the redemption in, in, in the Marxist worldview? Well, it's revolution against the bourgeoisie oppressors to establish a classless society free of oppression, expectation, or restrictions of any kind. And this is really important because free of oppression, expectation, or restrictions of any kind, God, when God created our world, it's the story of distinction. When in, the, in the story of Genesis, God separates water above from water below. He separates night from day. He separates land from sea, and he distinguishes between male and female. Is that not true? So creation is possible when there are distinctions. There are complementary distinctions, like two hands going together, but there are distinctions nonetheless. Night and day cannot be blended, really. Um, water's above, water's below, that's gone in the flood. And when God destroyed the, the, earth, the world in the flood, he eliminated the distinction between the water above and the water below and the land from the sea. He erased temporarily those distinctions, and uh, most of mankind was wiped out. Now, we cannot change the planet, but we are doing our very best, as was mentioned to us by Brother Knott in our offering appeal, to erase the distinction between male and female. That's happening in America this very week. First executive order that comes out, or second, will be to say that if I identify as a girl, I can go into the girl's bathroom, and nobody can say anything about it. We're erasing the distinctions. Just as the other distinctions led to the collapse of the world, we are fast moving to the collapse of human society. And so, biblical morality, the idea of... Um, sexual morality or what a family looks like or, or what is right and what is wrong, these are all to be eliminated in the new Marxist world order that we are moving into very rapidly today. And then we're also post-purpose. Because we are post-Christian, we are moving very fast into a post-purpose or a post-meaning world. Desperate people who have no purpose, they turn to ideology to provide meaning for them because the ideology provides a framework for living their lives. You cannot live your life with nothing. And so desperate people turn to ideology to provide meaning, even if it means consciously ignoring the truth and willingly and consciously accepting and living for a lie. In the 1930s, Stalin had multiple show trials. They were full of devout communists being executed for some alleged misdemeanor, and those show trials were filled with false confessions by communists who would rather confess to a lie than admit that socialism itself was a lie. And the show trials were filled with those false confessions. And those who uphold ideologies they know to be a lie, the witness of history is they often commit mass murder to silence their inner doubts. If you want to learn more about this, if you, if you use Amazon, uh, while they still have it, this will probably be taken down. There's a series on Amazon called Life and Fate, written by a Jew, Vasily Grossman. It's a 12-part series, an hour each. Uh, it's pretty grim. And uh, he, he fought for the Soviet Union during World War II. He fought, fought at Stalingrad. And as he was uh, marching with the Soviets back across Eastern Europe, he kept going to these towns where there used to be a Jewish um, population. They were all gone. And eventually he figured out what was happening, where have all the Jews gone? And he writes this series called Life and Fate, and I encourage you to take some time to watch this, because Vasily Grossman asks some profound questions. He asks questions such as, is a man willing or a woman willing to have a well-paid job if it means speaking lies every day, spouting lies of the propaganda, or are you willing to stand for the truth and lose your job? It's a basic question that every citizen in every totalitarian regime has to answer, has to ask and you have to answer it. You have to know what is your price. 
And if you, and you listen to the, the writings of Vasily Grossman and others who survived the Soviet era, it is this, that when you are forced to live under lies, it is dehumanizing and it is demoralizing and it is degrading to the human spirit. You become nothing more than like a, you're an automaton walking around. You're afraid to sp say what you really think. You're, you, you cannot say anything to anybody for fear of disappearing into the gulags, the concentration camps. So I'd encourage you, look through life and fate. It's a bleak look of a number of characters of how they make those decisions of surviving um, in the midst of totalitarianism. So we are turning towards totalitarianism in America right now, and it's starting with the elimination of freedom of speech. So we're going to turn to that part, that part now. The turn towards totalitarianism. Well, the, the 2020 elections were a turning point in U.S. history. The truth of the matter is, the 2020 elections only confirmed where America has already been going for maybe a generation. We have been changing socially already, and the 2020 elections merely confirmed where we have gone socially. That social change is now manifest within our new political structures. For the first time in American history, we have a party that, in power that promised in its manifesto to explicitly abolish freedom of religion. Did you ever read the manifestos before you voted? The party in power said, we uphold religious freedom as long as it is not used as a cover for bigotry or discrimination. That one phrase tells you everything, that religious liberty is now over in the United States as a as an intrinsic part of who we are as a nation. And so we are now looking at the, uh, as a brother mentioned in the offering appeal, the Equality Act. This is gonna be the, one of the first acts that gets passed. Now, there are various versions of the Equality Act. Um, it's been in various manifestations for a number of years. The version that was voted by the House of Representatives in 2019, that's the only one we have to work with now. We don't know what the 2020 version is gonna look like. But the Equality Act, um, it adds two new protected categories to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act prohibits individuals from discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. The Equality Act aims to prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. That's why it's called SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity. So SOGI legislation. That means that sexual orientation and gender identity will be protected categories in American society, thereby legally separating for the first time in all human history biological sex from your gender. This is the triumph of a certain ideology and the elimination of the Christian worldview within America. This has been promised to be the first act that will be passed. I'm not making this stuff up. Open our eyes, brothers and sisters. Something bad is coming down the pipe. Within the current draft of that act, section 1107 reads this, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 93, that was signed into, off, signed into by Bill Clinton, shall not provide a claim concerning or a defense to a claim under a covered title or provide a basis for challenging the application or enforcement of a covered title. Now, that, what does that really mean? It means that um, you cannot deny or reject or act in a, in, in a way that you would rather act if somebody presents themselves with a certain sexual orientation or gender identity, even if you are a religious organization. Now, we don't know what this, how what the final wording is gonna look like, but if the current wording stays, it means that we will violate the Equality Act in this church if we require people to, uh, members or uh, employees, to abstain from same-sex uh, sexual activity 
if we refuse to allow men to use the women's bathroom because that's their chosen gender identity, if we insist in our brothers and we say, are you my brother, are you my sister? Well, nobody knows anymore. Maybe you're my sibling, okay? Because if you use gendered language, maybe you're going to fall foul of the Equality Act. If we refuse to provide gender alignment surgery under health insurance plans provided by the church for its employees, there are many ways in which the church can be sued before violating the Equality Act. Now, as I say, the final wording we don't know yet, but given the spirit of vengefulness and vindictiveness and and that is manifesting Congress today, don't think that it's going to have a generous spirit to it. It's going to be vindictive. It's going to be vengeful. It's going to be vicious. This is where we're going as a nation. The next quote was shared during the um, offering appeal. So I just want to talk about the fact that about 15 years ago in America, um, is that the time already? Good grief. I apologize. This has been going on, hasn't it? 12.52. I've lost track of time here. Well, um, I'll move on from what I was going to say. Okay, the response to, 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 the response to totalitarianism, and I'm going to talk first about the Adventist Church in the United States, and I'm going to talk about the individual member. Well, historically, Adventists have res- struggled to know how to respond to the demands of totalitarian regimes. We in America have never had to face the demands of a totalitarian system, and thus we should never criticize those who've had to make terrible choices under terrible circumstances. It's a very hard thing to point the finger at people who are living in very, very difficult circumstances. In the 1930s, Adventists in Germany generally voted for the new rising leader. Why? Well, he promised a lot of good things, and he was a vegan after all. And many of the Adventists in Germany were very supportive of a lot of the programs of, the, of that regime in the 1930s and 40s. Not all, but many of them were. In this former Soviet Union and in communist countries today, because there are communist countries still to this day, the Adventist church split into the official Adventist church, where you can still meet on Sabbath, but the requirement is your children must go to school on Sabbath. That was the dividing line, and it still is in some countries today, like Vietnam and other countries of Southeast Asia. So the official Adventists send their children to school on the Sabbath, and the underground Adventists refuse to send their kids to school on the Sabbath. The result is the official Adventists, their kids are well-educated, and uh, the unofficial Adventists, their kids don't finish really hardly any education. And you see this divide going from generation to generation between the educated official and the poorly educated unofficial Adventists. Those divisions exist in Adventism this very Sabbath. They exist in different parts of the world, and those divisions are very, very bitter. So the lesson of history is that we will fracture, we will split in America as we witness the rise of a new soft totalitarianism where you will be deplatformed and cancelled for refusing to applaud the latest new think. The reality, though, is we, I'm not just going to say we will fracture. I'd like to suggest that we already have fractured. We have fractured. On what basis do I say this? Well, across our division today, there are many who proclaim themselves as close to the atheist revolution as they possibly can within our own church. They loudly proclaim that they are progressive. Does anybody ask, what are you progressing towards? You're progressing towards Marxism. This is where this terminology is coming from. They proclaim themselves proudly as LGBTQ allies. That means I'm not gay myself, but I support the political objectives of the LGBTQ movement. We have diversity and inclusion officers are appointed to promote atheist ideology upon our campuses. Our children are indoctrinated in gender and feminism. Our reading lists that are promoted online on Adventist websites promote critical theory writers. 
We proclaim that our, some of our campuses are safe spaces in which the gospel is now silenced as the call to repentance challenges the deification and worship of the flesh. And driven by the false principle of inclusivity, support for biblical ordination, which may or may not have a biblical basis, will inevitably, as with the Episcopalians and other denominations, evolve into gay ordination, lesbian ordination, and trans ordination. The woke Adventist church will in all likelihood accommodate as much as possible to the truth-rejecting, Bible-burning, and Christ-hating demands of new soft totalitarianism. I recognize that what I'm saying will not earn me friends, but this is the truth. This is the truth. And there will be a faithful Adventist remnant, and it is to that group that I want to turn now. How do we respond? How do you respond? We cannot change what is happening in America. You may feel powerless, but the truth of the matter is you are still the children of God. You're still beloved of God. You're still as precious to God as the apple of his eye. His purposes for you are from everlasting to everlasting. And Jesus is still preparing a home for you in heaven above where um, every tear will be wiped away and all races can worship equally in love before our heavenly Father. We are still citizens of God's kingdom and we are citizens primarily of God's kingdom rather than citizens of any earthly kingdom. So how can we respond? Well, firstly, retell. That is, treasure your history. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 6, God speaks to the people of Israel, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't forget your history. Tell your children salvation history. Tell your children what God has done in your family's life. Tell your children your personal testimony. Tell your children the history of America, the highs and the lows, the good and the evil, because we can only learn from our past if we tell the stories of the past. Tell the history. A great example of that is Lineage Journey. If you prefer watching to reading, uh, check out a YouTube series called Lineage Journey. It's an amazing series on salvation history, like five-minute YouTube video clips that goes through salvation history. It's like the great controversy stories in little five-minute YouTube clips. It's called Lineage Journey. Check it out. It's free of charge. Read great controversy. You see, in the, United, in the U USSR, they killed those who could remember history. History teachers were among the first to be executed. And why is that? Because as Orwell said in the book 1984, whoever controls the past controls the future, and whoever controls the present controls the past. So if you want to control tomorrow, you control today so that you can eliminate yesterday. And why is this important? Because historical memory is an objective recollection of past facts, such as uh, in 1066, William the Conqueror invaded Britain. He was a Franco-Norman lord and a duke, the Duke of Normandy, and he invaded Britain. It was known in history as the Norman Conquest, and we still live with the effect of it today. Let me give an example. Do you, eat, do you ever eat cow? No, you eat beef. Do you ever eat sheep? No, you eat lamb or veal or mutton. And why is that? Because the Anglo-Saxons were kind of the slaves after 1066, and the, all the words for animal, like dog and cow and pig, are Anglo-Saxon words. But the Franco-Norman lords, who spoke a French version of English, they put their words to the, the food that comes from those animals. So a cow becomes beef, a, a sheep becomes a mutton, and a pig becomes pork or ham. It's Anglo-Saxon or French words. It's important to know your histories. You understand the very language you speak on a daily basis. But there is historical memory, and there is cultural identity. Your cultural identity is a, a collection of stories, heroes, villains, landmarks, art, music, and holidays that define a nation and give identity. And without a cultural memory, you have no culture. And without a culture, you have no identity. 
Totalitarian regimes seek to eliminate cultural memories or to control populations. When you eliminate transcendent stories or structures or habits or beliefs, the totalitarian regime eliminates any opposing claim to their demands on the individual. Every time in America a statue is toppled or a holiday is renamed or a building is burnt, we lose the opportunity to learn from our mistakes of the past. We lose the opportunity to learn. We deny anything that ever happened. We lose the opportunity to learn. Our cultural memory in America is being systematically destroyed, and we are being prepped for the new totalitarianism. Christianity in particular is being targeted because we proclaim salvation, historical, present, and future, and our primary loyalty is not to the state, but it is to the coming King, Jesus Christ. So the first thing is retell, tell your history. Secondly, remember or memorize scripture. Psalmist says, I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Proverbs 6 says this, when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. What is he talking about? He's talking about the precepts of scripture. So retell your history, remember the word of God. Why is that important? Because prisoners of conscience repeatedly testify to the importance of memorized scripture, where moth and, day, moth and decay cannot destroy and thieves break in and steal. Scripture shines light into the deepest despair and the darkest dungeon, reminding us of our Father's everlasting love, giving guidance, wisdom, and heavenly perspective to, the, to those who suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. In 2021, in this congregation, they're going to be, we are putting together a scripture memorization program. Okay, if you're not memorizing scripture, I'd encourage you to be a part of that program as and when it's rolled out, because one day you won't have this. It's only a matter of time before the Bible is condemned as hate speech, because what it says about a whole variety of issues, start to memorize scripture. A great place is the Sermon on the Mount. So retell your history, remember your scriptures, reconnect with brothers and sisters or bind together. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, or First Thessalonians 5, therefore encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. One torture dissident from the Soviet Union referred to, and I quote, the solidarity of the shattered. As totalitarian bills in America today and freedom of speech is evaporating on a daily basis, and if you don't believe me, you, you know, you're not awake, but freedom of speech is evaporating before our eyes. As this new soft totalitarianism, totalitarianism builds, I want to encourage you, build close personal relationships with your fellow disciples. Learn to love the people in the pews sacrificially. Pray with them, pray for them, pray with each other, look out for one another. Because when our churches and our schools and our institutions are closed and we are social pariahs, those loving personal relationships will be the only visible manifestation of the body of Christ we will have until Jesus comes again. So look at the pew to your right and left. Do you know that person's name? Do you know them? Have you ever met them before? Okay, if it's your mother-in-law, don't answer. But have you ever met that person before? Okay, do you care about them? Do you know where they live? Do you know what's going on in their life? Do you know what you can be praying for? The chances are no, 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 no. Reconnect with each other. Come to the midweek prayer meeting. Know who's going through what and learn who you can pray with. When you go outside and you fellowship out there, find somebody you've never spoken to before, you don't recognize. Introduce yourself. How may I pray for you in the coming week? And this is how you can pray for me. Reconnect with one another because when everything is gone and one day this church will be gone, Andrews may be gone, division will be gone and all the rest of it, all you have are your brothers and sisters. And if you don't know who they are, you're on your own. So reconnect. Reprioritize. 
We have retell your memory, remember your scripture, reconnect with brothers and sisters, or sorry, with siblings in the new news speak in which we are soon to be required to speak. Reprioritize. You know, we're coming into an era where government expenditure is out of control. We're about to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on entitlement programs that we do not have the money for. What will happen? Supply and demand will take over and the dollar will collapse. Your savings will be worthless. While you can use your finances for God's kingdom, use them while you may. Reprioritize. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Store up for yourselves, oh yeah, treasures in heaven, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. As for those, 1 Timothy 6 says this, as for those who in the present age are rich, and we praise God for that, command them not to be proud or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of wealth. They are to do good, to be rich, not in money, but in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. During, prior to World War II, this ship is now at Los Angeles at Long Beach. It's the Queen Mary. And prior to World War II, Queen Mary used to take about 3,000 passengers at a time across the Atlantic Ocean. They were wined and dined in absolute luxury. They slept on, on feather beds, and they had uh, china um, crockery and so forth. It was really luxurious, 3,000 passengers. But when World War II started, they stripped out the boat, and instead of those feather beds, they, they had um, uh, aluminum bunk beds. And instead of having uh, china crockery, they had um, t- uh, aluminum or tin plates. Instead of carrying 3,000 people across the Atlantic, it would carry up to 15,000 people across the Atlantic. They reprioritized because they were at war. I want to challenge you today to reprioritize in your finances as well. Are you spending on consumption or are you investing in God's kingdom? I've been thinking about this. It seems to me that when we're off the internet, as that sooner or later will happen, that all we'll have left maybe is, um, is literature. When Sister White says she sees a day when the, when the children of God will hurry from door to door telling people of the coming of Jesus, why is it necessary to go from door to door? Because you've been deplatformed off every other social media platform. You start to see what Sister White makes absolute sense when it comes to end times. So maybe it's time to be thinking about buying glow tracts and steps to Christ and, and a great controversy and so forth and storing those and giving them out. Every time you go out in the day, take something and give it out to somebody. I was in um, Toyota yesterday, and there was a lady there, and um, I see her, I don't know, every about six months or so, and uh, I had a quick word with her, and I gave her a great controversy about a year ago, and when I saw her yesterday, she said, you know, she says, I've got that book, it's on my shelf, and I intend to read it. She says, I've had a rough time, you know, my marriage had just broken up, but I intend to read it. That great controversy is sitting on her shelf, and every time I see her, she reminds me, I have that book. And one day, she's going to read it. And it doesn't cost me anything to give her a book. It doesn't cost you anything to take some literature and pass it out wherever you go. Because when we are deplatformed, and even this series of sermons may get our village church deplatformed, you need something to share. So reprioritize your finances. Did those soldiers crossing the Atlantic and the Queen Mary, did they complain about the cramped bunk beds? Yes. But in the camps of national socialism dotted across Europe, there were people also living in, in cramped conditions. And they were truly grateful for the sacrifices those soldiers made as they sailed the Atlantic, 15,000 to the Queen Mary. One day, people will thank us in heaven that we prioritize their salvation today rather than our consumption. Reprioritize your finances and finally retool. Retool. We have retell your history, remember the scriptures, reconnect with brothers and sisters, 
reprioritize your finances, and retool. Jesus has given us all the Great Commission, the Gospel Commission, to go and make disciples of all peoples because God's love is for all peoples. God is not willing that any should perish regardless of what part of our, of our world they call home. And every disciple, not just preachers and pastors, is called to be a, a sower of seed. We're all given the gospel commission. Jesus didn't just give the gospel commission to the 12. He gave it to all of us. We have our marching orders. And so I want to challenge you today to retool. Disciples, they intentionally master simple skills, such as listening respectfully to the story of others, preparing and sharing their personal testimony, loving your neighbor sacrificially, learning and giving a gospel presentation. You can get a gospel presentation on the back of a business card. It's not that hard to do if you think about it. To learn to share your personal testimony of God's goodness in your life, how to lead and discover Bible study. It's a very easy thing to do. You just need to know a series of questions and you allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to somebody's heart. A great starting point, if you Google it, is 411 Training. If you want to take a picture of that slide, go to that website and uh, you'll see a little 10-minute video. It gives you a great introduction to how you can retool some simple things that everybody in this congregation and watching online, all of us can do these things. We're not to be ashamed of our faith because Jesus is coming again, and the gospel is true. So retool and share your faith in the coming week. So what are we saying in conclusion? I want to challenge you to retell your history, remember your scriptures, Reconnect with your brothers and sisters. Reprioritize your finance and retool your testimony. Solzhenitsyn wrote about the compelling power of ideology that we're now facing in America today. Ideology, it's a profound statement. That is what gives evildoing its long-sought justification and the evildoer the necessary steadfastness and determination. When you marry ideology with evil men, you get mass murder on an industrial scale. This has happened in the 20th century, and there's no reason to say it won't happen in the 21st century. Thanks to ideology, the 20th century was fated to experience evil doing on a scale calculated in the millions. This cannot be denied, nor passed over, nor suppressed. How then do we dare insist that evildoers do not exist? And who was it that destroyed those millions, the souls in the gulag? Without our evildoers, there would have been no archipelago. It's Alexander Solzhenitsyn from the gulag. Archipelago. So we are witnessing in America today not just the rising, but the triumph. The triumph of the same Christ hating socialist ideology that led to the murder of over 110 million people in the last century. That ideology is now in power in America. This ideology is imposing itself via soft totalitarianism, via cancel culture. It's happening in the front of our very eyes. And one day, it, that soft totalitarianism will inevitably give way to hard totalitarianism. In an era when we are being forced to live with lies, we are fast approaching a moment of truth. Will you bow to the lies and spout the lies and chant the slogans and flaunt your vote virtue on social media, or will you speak for the truth? Will you represent God faithfully or bow to the atheist ideology of 21st century America? What path will you choose? You can live with the lies, you can chant the slogans and flaunt your virtue on Facebook, but inside you'll become demoralized, you'll disintegrate, and you'll become a dehumanized robot. That's the experience of history. You can have your comfortable job, you can have your comfortable institution, but you know inside that it's all a lie. Or you can live for the truth. You may be scorned on social media, but you'll be free in your heart and free in your soul and free in your mind and free in your speech. If you continue in my words, says Jesus, you are truly my disciples, 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not lies that set you free. It is lies that will, it is truth that will set you free. So my brothers and sisters, seek truth. Seek truth in your reading. Seek truth in the Word of God. Seek truth in your conversation. Seek truth that your words and your words, your thoughts and your words will be free, and you can proclaim the coming King. Because if we're afraid to tell the truth of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, how is a dying world going to know? Seek the truth. Live for the truth. Speak the truth. Do not bow to lies, no matter the cost. When Jesus comes again, you will receive an eternal reward. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.